Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. So this morning we're going to be in, in Romans, and uh, it starts out with a fairly common or commonly known part of Scripture. Songs have been sang about it. and Different things have been mentioned. and It's where Paul says the words, and depending on your translation, it's different, and I'm just going to recite it by how I've always remembered it for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And Paul really is saying, family, it's win-win. Right? If I live, that's great because I'm going to live my life to Christ. I'm going to do everything I can while I'm here in the body to pronounce Christ. I'm going to live in Christ. I'm going to let His Holy Spirit move me. And I'm going to do exactly what He wants me to do, which is going to bring joy and satisfaction to my life. And Paul, of all the people that we know, there's a lot of disciples. We don't know a lot of their stories, right? We can't tell you a whole lot about what Peter went through. We can mention some stories. Uh, after Jesus ascended, we can't tell you a whole lot. Uh, Paul was kind of this unique character that we get kind of a play-by-play, especially from Acts 9 through the end of Acts. We kind of almost get a play-by-play of here's what Paul's doing. And then through his letters, we kind of see some of his stuff. Like we know a lot about Paul's life. And what we can say about Paul's life is that it was not easy. <laughs> once he was bitten by a serpent he was beaten uh, he was imprisoned wasn't easy for Paul but when we read Paul we see joy and satisfaction there are times where Paul's like deep in his bones like I'm ready for this to be done I'm ready to get to my eternal reward which is spending eternity in the presence of Christ like this is what I want and we actually even see a little bit of this here in a second but he's never, like he even speaks about it. He said, I've learned contentment in everything. I've learned, I've figured out through the power of the Holy Spirit how to just be content wherever I'm at. And that is just resting in who Christ is. And no matter whether it is uh, plenty or want, it's going to be what God wants. And that's what I want for me. And so Paul had found contentment there. And that was great. But even in the midst of that contentment, Paul says, so, for me to live as Christ. Like, this is what I'm going to get. I'm going to be content in who Christ is and what he's done for me. And if I die, hallelujah, all this suffering that is in this present world is over, and I get to be with Christ. And for Paul, this was his posture. And as Paul is writing to a church that he helped plant, like it starts, if you go back to the beginning in in Philippians, um, did I say Romans earlier? I meant Philippians if I said Romans. Sorry. Y'all are probably wondering which Romans we're going to. Sorry, Philippians. Um, but as he's writing his church in Philippi, if you go back to the beginning, it's him and Timothy. Like, so they're in there together. Like They're writing this letter together. They're kind of in prison together. They're doing this thing together. And uh, he cares for this church. And so he says, but if I live, then I get to be with you guys even more. And if I die, I get to be in Christ. And Paul is writing to them basically as a way of encouragement. To say, hey, no matter what happens, God is in control. Which 
is not what we're focusing on this morning, but it, it drives part of verse 27. But it is something that we absolutely need to hear this day and age, right? I mean, we're in the midst of some turmoil as a country. And unfortunately, with the news that happened at the end of the week, it's probably not going to get better for a little while. It's going to seem on the surface a little bit crazier, potentially. And we got the coronavirus going on and political like firefights and really a sense of division just kind of that we can't really escape. And we need these words from Paul to say, hey, the way to find contentment in this, the way to know, is to know that Christ is in control. He's the one guiding the whole ship. So don't feel like he's lost control, which sometimes, if, if I'm honest, it feels that way. Say, okay, God, I need you to take the reins again because ship's out of, out of whack. It's going the wrong way. Things are happening wrong. And Paul's saying, no, he's always had the reins. He, and he will. Even though his death in custody would be acceptable to him. So Paul is in prison and he's saying that even though my death would be acceptable to me because it would mean that I get to, that that is gain for me. His release and the resumption of his work on earth would serve as a sign to the churches that had been praying for it. Because those people, you know, the church in Galatia, the church in Philippi, the church in Corinth, like they, they missed their buddy. They wanted him to be out so he could come to them. And Paul writes to them and says, hey, I'm hoping to get there. Romans is written while Paul is in prison before he gets there saying, hey, I want to. Now, Paul is finally imprisoned in Rome uh, uh, to the end of his life once he gets to Rome. But when in this imprisonment, he's sitting there. He hadn't gotten there yet. So he's writing these letters and saying, hey, I'm hoping to get to you. I'm wanting to get to you. I hear about you. To the churches he helped plant, he's like, I want to get back to you. I love you. I want to be there for you. And they've been praying for it because to them... They feel like they lost a piece of who they were. You can imagine, you know, you get the pastor who plants his church. He's a, you know, he's an apostle. He's got all this good stuff. And now he's gone and you just got to kind of live this thing. And they, so they've been praying for them. And Paul's saying that if his release and he gets to resume his ministry, it would be a sign to cry to them that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus really is sovereign over all the affairs of the empire. And that is a message that we need to know today. It's that God is absolutely 100% in control over the affairs of the empire. Amen? It's not out of his control. No matter who wins what election, no matter what bills or laws are passed, no matter what happens, God is in control. And as such, we can trust in that. And so it is with that heart and with that kind of projection that he moves on from there. But I don't want us to miss this because here is what the Egyptians did. Not, I mean, the, the Hebrews when they were in Egypt and even after they, after they were delivered, miraculously, right? We read the story last week. Walls, the sea parts, has walls on both sides of them. They walk through on dry ground. The, the country that's after them gets swallowed up in the sea that they just were able to walk through. I mean, it was miraculous, even their release was miraculous, right? You had the ten plagues, the frogs, the flies, the blood in the water. You know, the eventual death of the firstborn of everything, not just people, but everything. And the country, and just in that country too, isn't that amazing? It was miraculous. And they get through, and they get to the other side, and they said, oh man, if we could just be sitting by the pots of meat, if God had just taken us there, 
when our bellies were full. Like all they wanted was full bellies. Without realizing that God was in control even when they were in captivity. Which was which is crazy to see that they get through that and then God miraculously delivers them and they grumble against it and said, man, we don't want freedom. We want full bellies. And sometimes for us, that is true. We don't want the freedom that comes in Christ. Paul talks about that at the end of verse, or at the end of chapter one. Jesus talks about it. The Israelites are living it when this is happening. It's like, man, we don't really have a lot. We just want to eat meat. And, and, you, and you can see it doesn't talk in the, in, the, in the Exodus that I read earlier. It doesn't talk about them starving. They weren't out there starving to death. What were they complaining about? They didn't have meat. And they couldn't see that God was the one that provided for them completely. And if there's one thing that fit, uh, that. Paul wants the church of Philippi to understand is that no matter what happens for me to live and get out of here, well, that's just Christ. That's just going to be more pronouncement of who Christ is. It's going to give us opportunity to do more ministry, more work, more whatever. And for me to die is gain. God provides no matter what. He wants the church to understand that whether in death or in life, whether they get what they've been praying for and Paul gets out of prison and they get to just embrace him again and see him again, or he dies that it's all God is still in control of that. And Paul understands that. And he wants the church, his church, to understand that. And that's true for us individually and us corporately as a church. It's true for us globally as a church. We are not in just, you know, even in the U.S., we, if we believe the empire, right, if we believe what the politicians tell us, we got to vote their way or, man, it's going to be bad news. We don't vote their way. The pagans are going to take over. We're all going to be sacrificing each other and anarchy in the streets and chaos. And I mean, if you believe like kind of the, the rhetoric is out there, that's what's there. And Paul's saying none of that's true. God is bigger than all of that. And he's proved it time and time and time and time again. If you don't believe it, uh, read up on where the, the biggest church explosion is right now in the world. And does anybody know where that is? It's not China, although that has been the case for a long time. It's Iran. What is the empire in Iran? It's not Christian, right? It's Muslim. And the church is exploding there. And if the spirit of God's power can work in a place that's not allowing it to work, see, God doesn't need the permission of the government to work. But sometimes we want to help them out. We're like, oh, we got to do this and we got to do that. And Paul's saying, no, forget that. You need to focus on you. And so he gets to that. And so that's where verse 27 comes in. One of the main parts of chapter 1, or actually the whole book of Philippians, is to remind them and us that God is in control of everything. And Paul brings that theme up and Chapter 2 and chapter 3 and in chapter 4, it's kind of one of the main themes of Philippians. And then we get to verse 27 of chapter 1 with this idea that, hey, guys, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, it doesn't matter which one. It's win-win. You don't have to worry about what the empire says. You don't have to worry about what anybody else says. Like it is, You don't even have to worry about like the 
church was grumbling against each other, okay? So this is what's happening. It's a small church that he started. Now they're kind of grumbling against each other, and they're arguing with other people who disagree with Paul, who are outside of their church. And now they're seeing like some tension within the Christian community. It's kind of wild. It's not unlike today, right? It doesn't sound, uh, it doesn't sound foreign to us to hear that. But Paul comes in and says, hey, no matter what, it's win-win. Now, let's get to the meat of this thing. Live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what some translations say. The one I'm reading this morning says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So real similar. There is this kind of thing where Paul is bringing out to them. So the church of Philippi, what empire were they in? Roman, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. They were in the Roman Empire. Roman Empire was absolutely, had nothing to do with Christianity. They did not want it. They didn't believe it. They were very much a pagan. And in fact, they were very, like, life was very casual to them. They could discharge a life like that without blinking an eye. It wasn't, didn't matter to them. They didn't care about it. And this is who they are. And Paul says, hey, it's win-win. God's in control of it all. Now, here's the deal. Chapter 27, as citizens of a different colony, of a different country, of a different empire, you're not Roman. While you may have Roman citizenship, and Paul appealed to Roman citizenship, right? We read that in Acts. Uh, He said, hey, I'm both a Jew, but I'm also a Roman citizen. So it wasn't that that didn't, wasn't who he was, but he said, but that's not where I identify. You're citizens of a different kingdom. Your kingdom has different values than the Roman Empire. Your kingdom has different values than the American Empire. Your kingdom has different values than the United Kingdom or the Lebanese Empire or um, Iranian Empire. Like You are citizens of something different. And so as citizens of that, do what? Live your lives in a manner worthy, worthy of the gospel. And he flushes that out a bit. So I'm just going to read all that. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, real quickly, I said I was going to read more, but I stopped. That word that they translate citizens is literally like um, being born into a new country. Like you're completely, like in that time frame, it was like it's either this or this. Like you don't, you can't, there's no middle ground. Okay? And Paul's saying with knowing that very well, Paul's saying, you are citizens of heaven. You're not citizens of Rome. So live your life in a worthy of the God, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or, not, or am absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. And this will be a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul, wish you hadn't wrote that half. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that I saw you had, and now hear, and now you hear that I have. So Paul, Paul lays this out a little bit. He says, you are citizens of heaven, so as such... Live your lives every day in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And how did Paul relay that? 
he, I don't know if you picked up on it, but he talked about unity the entire time. Okay, I'll read that again. Then whether I'm absent or I'm able to come to you, either way, I'll hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, that you're going to be unified in one spirit, that together your heart, your mind, your spirit is going to be so unified that you're standing together in one spirit, in one accord, contending together, not separated, but together for the faith of the gospel. And as such, you're not going to be frightened by everything else that happens. Well, my kids are outside, right? And, uh, it's, and it's summertime, so they're starting to disperse. In fact, yesterday, um, I had the door open a lot more uh, as I was going in and out to the grill, and Jude kept like trying to shut the door, but I'm like, man, it feels good outside. You can leave that thing open. He's like, what about the bugs? I'm like, man, it's starting to get cool. The bugs are kind of gone. He's like, yes. Because sometimes if I'm not careful or if I've been a little bit negligent as a dad uh, and don't look, they'll get little wasp nests up in their little playhouse thing. When those wasps or bees come around in the summertime, what do I tell them? Don't be scared. Don't start swatting at them. They can smell your fear. Just, you know, you calmly walk away. Come get me. We'll get some. We'll get it taken care of. But don't show them you're scared. Like, don't start running and swatting and doing all this stuff. They're going to chase you, right? Or if you hit a yellow jacket, you're really going to know it. With about 10 of his buddies are going to come find you real quickly. And so I just kind of tell them, you know, same thing if they're coming up on a dog, right? Don't let that dog smell your fear. Just be calm. Be cool. It's almost like what Paul's saying. Don't let them. You're not going to have to contend with this because of fear. In fact, we're going to figure out a way to dispel this fear. And how is it? You're going to be in one heart. You're going to be in one mind. You're going to do this thing together. And when you do that, you're not going to be scared of everything else. Paul's point of view, the whole business of being Christian is that living in the belief that Jesus has already become Lord of the entire world. How great is that? What does the empire try to scare us with? When we step out in faith and say, no, we're not going to do that, I said, well, hey, what? If you don't do this, you know, the enemies are going to come in and get you. Or if you're living, you know, for instance, where the gospel is exploding the biggest right now in Iran, they could say, hey, if you convert, we can actually kill you. We're not going to scare you with rhetoric and say someone else is going to come in if you don't do what we want you to do. We're actually going to do this. This was actually the... Um, type of community that Paul was writing to, knowing that I'm saying you're citizens of heaven, and if you really live and believe this, you're going to be kind of not really against Rome. You're not really going to care because you're going to be doing your own thing, but sometimes Rome will say, if you're not doing what we want to do, we'll just be done with you. And they ended it pretty quick. And so he's writing this to them saying, hey, you don't have, and Paul's saying, you don't need to be scared about that. Why? Because Jesus is already Lord of all creation. He's Lord of all empires. He's Lord of all countries. He's Lord of all that you see and can put your finger on and can smell and touch and hear and taste, can experience Jesus as Lord of it all. And if you follow the one who is in control of it all, what do you have to be scared about? Flashback to verse 21. What do you say? For me to live is Christ, and that's great. But if I die, what's the worst they can do? Send me to heaven. How bad is that? Jude was asking me the other day as we were driving to school, what's heaven like? I was like, I don't know. I hope it's a while before I find out. I mean, I will find out, and once I'm there, I'll be there, but I hope it's a while. And he said, well, my buddy told me that it's all gold. I said, well, 
There is scripture that talks about it being streets of gold. And I don't know exactly what it would be like, but I tell you, it's going to be great being in the presence of the one who knows you fully and created you. And if that person is already in control, what in the world do we have to be scared of? Absolutely nothing. Most of the world doesn't know this yet, so the loyal Christian is inevitably out of step. Those who aren't following Christ, they don't know this yet. And so when it looks weird or what we're doing, it's obvious. Paul's telling them, hey, it's not going to be normal. It's obvious. It's going to be out of step with them because you're not stepping in line with what they want. You're stepping in line with what Christ wants. And this will result in misunderstanding, hostility, and even persecution, which is why at the very end, Paul says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. That's one we don't like, but it's true. But Paul's saying even when you suffer, what's the worst that can happen? You go live with Jesus for eternity? It's not a bad consolation prize. In fact, it is the thing that Paul said, I am straining for. That's the prize I want. We go over to verse chapter 3, and he said, "This is I'm running the race to get that. It's not a consolation prize. It is the prize. It is what I want. But if he keeps me here, and he talks about it a little bit, he says, it's better for you guys if I stay here. And so I have confidence that I will to help you out. But if I go, trust me, it's going to be okay, guys. But he's saying, it's okay, so now live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that looks like unity with you guys, being a one spirit, one mind, doing this together for the faith. The appropriate public behavior and united work for the gospel, what one, pastor's, uh, what one writer said is the appropriate public behavior and united work for the, go- of, for the gospel will work together to send a signal to opponents that we're not afraid We're doing this together. We're not scared of you. We're doing what we need to do. And that signal itself is part of the gospel message. This is part of what Paul's saying. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Do things with such unity that it is a display of the kingdom of God, that it is a part of the gospel message. It functions as a sign to the Christians that they already belong to the coming king, which is good for us to be reminding of every day. When we do things together and one of us experiences some sort of loss or hardship or persecution, when we're together, we share that burden with each other, and it's a reminder that we are all part of the same community. And to their opponents, that a new world is beginning in which the threats of the old one don't work anymore. What a beautiful thing. That's what it talks about when we talk about having freedom in Christ. It gives us the freedom to not be scared of what's happening. And we're part of a new kingdom. We're part of a new creation We don't have, the old has gone and the new has now come. We don't have to worry about what anyone else says or threatens us with. And what does that do when you don't have that fear anymore? That really steals the power away from the one trying to scare you, doesn't it? When you can say, hey, I'm not scared of who wins an election. I'm not scared of what you try to do to me or how you, you may try to close our doors. You may try to tell us we can't meet in public. Does that kill the church? No. What did, the, what did the early church do? They just went underground, kept on meeting, kept on getting together in houses now because the government shut them, shut them down. That's what happened in China. Church in China exploded when they actually didn't get to meet in 
the public square and had to go underground where the people didn't. And the gospel exploded. Like, it's not going to stop it. They weren't scared. They're saying, hey, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because what do we have to prove? What am I scared of? I'm scared of eternity not in Christ's presence. That's where, that's where my fear is, not what you can do to me. You can walk in the door today and shoot me, throw me in prison, whatever. Well, they didn't shoot them back then, but whatever they did, stone me, throw me in prison, whatever it is. I'm not scared. And when you're not scared, that steals the power away from the one trying to scare you. We've seen this play out, right? His name was Brandon. Like I remember in elementary school, I mean not elementary school, middle school, there was this bully. His name was Brandon. I won't say the rest of his name because I don't know. He may be listening. I don't know. But there was this bully named Brandon. And I don't really, he wasn't a particularly big guy. He was just real brash. And I just remember, like, like he used to kind of try to bully me some, but I was a bigger guy. You know, I've always been a bigger guy, and I was kind of one of the stronger guys, and even in middle school. And, but for whatever reason, Brandon didn't like me, and I don't know why. I didn't really care a whole lot. I just knew he didn't, and he kind of bullied me, and I'd walk away because I didn't want to. I was never like a guy who got into dust-ups. That wasn't my style. Um, but one day, I just had enough, right? And I just stood up to him. I was like, I know, okay, whatever it is you keep threatening with, just do it. Let's see what happens, you know? He wasn't really going to do anything, right? Like, we've seen this play out. When you, kinda, when you don't have fear of whatever it is they're threatening you with, it kind of takes their power. And he never bothered me again. Like, I was like, okay, then do it. Like, you're going you're gonna to hit me on the way to band class? I was on the way to band class. He's like, if you don't, you know, whatever. I don't remember what it was. I'm going to, you know, I was like, okay, then do it. I mean, because I'm going to be late to class if you don't hurry up and do it. <laughs> you know, whatever it was, it just it dispelled the fear. And that happens across the board. And Paul's saying for the church, this is where I want you to live. Don't be scared of them. Be together. Be unified. Because all the stuff that is driving you apart is external stuff that the, that the empire is trying to put onto you. And boy, that sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? But here's what I want you to be unified with, that, that your ultimate goal is Christ, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to live with him eternally. And that's your goal. And when you guys can be unified in that, Forget about the rest of it. To live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Christ, Paul lays out, is unity here. It's a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And everything he says after that is be of one heart, be of one mind, do things together. You can't be separated. That doesn't count. That is not for Mosaic Church. That's for like all Christianity. Let's quit finding ways to divide ourselves. Be unified. To love the community. To love our neighbor. Then, then we get so focused on doing what it is that we need to do that we can't spend time worrying about what we need to be scared of. The overarching idea, perhaps, N.T. Wright is a, is a famous uh, theologian. He wrote this, The overarching idea, perhaps, is the notion of right thinking that is incumbent upon those who consider heaven their true home. Such people will put petty issues aside as they recognize the overwhelming need for unity in fighting for the truth of the gospel. They will see suffering as a means by which God draws us further from contaminating values of the world and around us, further from the contaminating values of the world around us and closer to himself. And they will rejoice that death means gain. To be with Christ is far better. And that is where our hope gets to lie this morning. 
And so this morning, as we move to a time where we're going to say some, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to say this creed that we believe, let this thing that we say in this creed be the thing that unifies us. Everything else is stuff that's silly. We don't need to fight over that. There's a, I was telling somebody the story. I was telling Al, story of a guy, and I'm not going to even name his name. There's a pastor that's somewhat popular up north um, or in the Midwest, actually, and I'm not a huge fan. Theologically, he and I don't, don't mesh. But I read this article about some things they were doing in the midst of some rioting and some stuff that was happening in their community, and it was beautiful. It was honestly told Al, and I told my buddy Gabe, I was like, I'm glad I read this article because I didn't really like this guy personally for no reason other than our theologies were different. We find all kinds of things to divide ourselves with. But I was like this, and I still, my theology is a little bit different from him, but the beautiful thing is when you boil all that down and say, no, our biggest thing is like how we relay the gospel to our community. This whole article was about how he and other pastors in his area were being the presence of God in the midst of turmoil and it didn't matter why the riots were happening or who, what was, that didn't matter. What mattered was that there were people's lives being upended. And how can we as a church come together and help this? Like, man, that takes the fear away, right? That takes the, you don't, you're not talking about working against one another at that point. You're saying, how can we work together for the gospel of Christ? And that is where God is calling us to individually, to work together with other Christians, to be done with fear for our church, for the global community, like we have to be unified in that. And so this morning, we get to come without fear, knowing that God has already met all of our needs, and the worst that can happen is the ultimate reward that He's already told us about. Which that's pretty, pretty daggum good. So this morning, let's pray, thanking God that that is that He has removed all fear, and He has given us power to overcome the works of the enemy. This morning, we thank you, God, that you have given us all that we need. Forgive us, we pray, for the times when we think that we need more. We think a lot of times we need to influence the empire so that we can get what we need because that's what's going to further your kingdom. And the truth is, the only thing that's going to further your kingdom is us being obedient to what you've called us to do. And so this morning, we pray that we would do that, and that we would do that with unity and with singleness of mind that we would do it together and may that be an expression to the world that you are a good God that you are not for division but that you are a God of reconciliation that your kingdom is one of peace may we be people who bring that we love you God in your name Amen Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.